You are Locked On Indians, your daily Cleveland Indians podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Locked On Indians. I am your host, Jeff Ellis, formerly of 24-7, formerly of Scout, and formerly of many a Cleveland sports blog. I'm going to apologize right here off the top. I don't know if it's allergies. I don't know if it's a head cold. I do have the cough button handy. Uh, and if I sound a little off, I like I said, could be allergies, could be a bit of a head cold. But uh, yeah, not it in t- top shape in spite of a fun game today. Let's be honest. This is a, a fun exercise to talk about after yesterday's doom and gloom. Of course, just about everyone I ripped yesterday came through today. We have a lot to talk about. First two segments alone are just going to be devoted to this game because there was so much that occurred. Uh, another extra inning game for the Indians. That is, I don't know off the top of my head how many it's been that year, but it feels like a lot, right? I, I can't be the only one where I was like, man, another game going to extras. Uh, five runs for the Indians on nine hits, three runs for Minnesota on five hits. So many places to start off. What should we tackle first? Uh, let's talk about what I talked about in yesterday's show, which was I thought Jose Barrios would be a hard matchup, and he was. He kept five and two-thirds innings, two earned runs. I think that is a strong performance for him. Only three strikeouts. That might be the one thing where you sit back and go, okay, that is where the Indians uh, were able to benefit, that they were not striking out. Barrios is someone who typically racks up a few more strikeouts. The bigger thing, I think, really, for the Indians was just getting him out of the game quickly. Getting him out before he could go six. He has been very effective this year. Robles comes in and is solid. They get to Duffy. Taylor Rogers, their closer. Uh, they use him to extend the game, which is a smart move, going with their best reliever in a high-leverage situation. And then, if you remember from Monday's show, I talked about that their other guy at the back of the pen is supposed to be Colome. And that he's been struggling this year. And it showed up again in this one. Yes, technically... Well, no, he does get an earned run. What am I saying? Because he gave up a home run. I was like, well, this is one of those situations where I was thinking in my mind, the, the runner scores, but it's not going to reflect as negatively. But no, he gave up a home run. So that's right there. You know, he gave up one earned run, one unearned run. And uh, yeah, his ERA is up even higher. He has not been very effective in the early going. So that's... I mean, let's just talk about Luplo. <laughs> His team-leading sixth home run of the year. I mentioned on my lockdown now, if you see that video, that before he hit that home run, he was tied with Franmo and Jose Ramirez, who also went yard in this one for the team lead. Sixth home run. He has at least three of them now against right-handed uh, pitchers. This was another one of those. At this point in time, again, he's not hitting for a high average, but he's getting on base through walks, and he's hitting for a lot of power. I mean, you have to run him out there every day. What other choice do you have? Who are you going to not play him in place of? Like, who is the player that you want to take at bats from loop low for right now? Uh, you know, last year they wanted to give him this opportunity and it didn't go well. Nothing really went well for him last year. I still don't know if it's going to go well long-term or not, but I know no matter what, he's going to be able to hit lefties. And he's going to be, he's done it better than, say, Brandon Geyer, who's the last guy they brought in to do that who, I gotta look at some stuff, but a few years ago, at least two years ago, Brandon Geyer still had the fifth highest war of any player who ever came out of the University of Virginia. In the history of that program, 
program that has had a lot of high pick busts. Uh, just one of those interesting stats thrown out there in the middle of the game. But Luplo, it's he goes one for five. It's not necessarily like he lit it up all game. He just lit it up when it mattered. What was interesting, though, I think when you're getting down to the positioning here, that Cesar Hernandez, I don't know if he's the best guy to hit lead off right now with the way he's performing. Yes, he did have a walk, and he did score two runs. But he's still uh, he of the 544 OPS. But at least he's willing to move out of the two spot because he's playing so poorly that... Uh, because if you remember at the start of the year, that's not what the Indians wanted to do, and he felt that that's where he needs to be. Jose Ramirez also with the one hit, that home run I mentioned the uh, in the eighth inning to tie it up. Uh, Fran Mo Reyes had one hit. I mean, they only had two walks, and the other one went to Roberto Perez, who also managed to have a stolen base. That's very unusual for him. Who reached base twice in this game? Eddie Rosario and Josh Naylor. That was really rough on Naylor, and, you know, I think deserved between the defense the base running uh he just looked like a bad baseball player over the past week three for four a double in this one pair of singles i believe with the other two hits he's you know there's the ups and downs we'll see how it goes i do like that they have just given up on the ridiculousness of their first base situation and just put Naylor there that he's not an outfielder he's a first baseman uh, and that's where, especially now that they are going to, it looks like, play Luplo every single day, that means that they have to shift Naylor. So that is what we're seeing here. This is essentially, he's going to be there, and he's going to be there every day, and he's a higher-rated prospect than Bowers or Bobby Bradley have been in the past few years. So in terms of highest ranking ever amongst that group, I, it might be Bowers at the highest prospect pedigree. But Naylor is the guy, and I think they'll just have him at first base and forget about him. Uh, I know there was some positive things in the Plain Dealer. I did read the piece about all of the the guys at the alternate site. But if you read that piece, you know it was, it was I don't want to call it a fluff piece, but every single comment was positive. There was not anything critical or even what someone is working on. Or It was just a piece about why every single guy who is a prospect at the alternative site right now doing those AAA games is going to help the Indians this year. And we know that's not the case. There's guys who won't even play for the team this year. It's not to say that all parts of that article should be uh, ignored, but you have to also realize that when they're giving you that information, it is literally the team kind of uh, pushing up their guys and giving you a good story there. Not a whole lot to take from that, but to go back into this game, on top of all the hitting performances, we have to talk about the pitching. And we'll talk about the pitching in from this big walk-off win, the first walk-off win of the year by the Cleveland Indians in a moment. I've been talking about the Blue Nile 1010 collection. And when you type Blue Nile 1010, that's how you can find uh, this site. And what I, again, what I like about it is that every single ring is designed by a woman, which I, I don't know if I'm buying something, maybe it's an outdated thought in my mind, but if I'm buying something for my wife, I'm going to feel better about it if I know it's designed by a, you know, a female designer. Uh, in each of these, I like this also the profile you have. You can find out about the person who designed these rings. You can go through and look at ones you like, see which one fits your style, and then talk about, you can learn a little bit about the designer. You can find out more. Um, like here's one that I think is kind of cool. Number six, uh, Marla Aaron from New York City. Modern, industrial, Victorian, and Georgian references. Uh, it's... You know, it looks like a white gold ring. That is what my own uh, 
wedding ring is just things like that you can see the rig now you can kind of look for the design i think that's a cool one i think that's a nice looking one there's quite a few on here i talked about a different one last time because i thought that was a really uh so- strong interesting ring go check it out for yourself uh, all sorts of occasions all sorts of events go to blue nile.com 1010 just type blue nile 1010 into google it'll take you right there go check it out for yourself rockauto.com listen by now you know about them i, I got a mailer from them recently uh, they're they're out there. They're trying to get their name known, and they're having success. And they've had success for 20-plus years right now as a family-owned company because of the savings they pass on to you, the consumer. Check it out for yourself. I always say that it's a great tool as a way to make sure you are getting a good deal on a part from your car. And if you're not, when you go to rockauto.com and you buy the part from them, type Locked On, Locked On MLB, Locked On Indian, some form of Locked On in the How Did You Hear About Us space, well, let some know that their advertising dollars were well spent. Again, check it out for yourself. Easy to navigate, easy to use, reliably low prices, rockauto.com. It's the only site you'll ever need. I want to remind everyone about the draft coverage we are doing here on Locked On. It's in Cleveland this year. The draft is a national holiday. I was talking to my mother today. She's like, are you looking forward to it? She doesn't know a ton about sports, but she knows that uh, when it comes to drafts, I am always looking forward to those. We have you covered, the draft dudes here. Could check that out. Check out the Locked On, uh, all of the draft coverage. There's just so much. But check out the Locked On NFL YouTube page. They're going to have coverage during the draft. So pitching-wise, the Indians had, well, not necessarily the Indians, but Zach Plesak had been struggling. His last two starts were not great. And we kind of talked about, like, the problem with Plesak is last year was that limited sample size. And I don't think any of us really know how to judge 2020, both the good and the bad. Uh, And especially when it comes to pitching, the good is harder to judge because so many of these guys feasted on terrible teams. Uh, Yeah, the White Sox were good and the Twins were good. But the Cubs scuffled massively and they made it in. The Cardinals were a good team, but they had some ups and downs. The Reds. Uh, they stormed back, but the Indians really faced them when they were at their scuffling-est. Uh, is that a word? I don't know. But it it's to the point that it just goes to the overall point that someone like Plesak mostly faced bad competition a year ago. He comes back this year. They have more information on him. He's not as much of an unknown. And he has not been as strong as a year ago. This was his second this is the longest start of this year, and I believe it's his second longest start since his first start of the 2020 season. So he goes into the eighth, seven and two-thirds, just five hits, one walk. That is really nice to see. Four strikeouts. You'd like to see a little bit more there. That is the one concern about this maybe being uh, not a, a true indication of things to come, but only three runs. You Again, you just like that he, he, went, he lasted six innings. I mean, he has not been... Going deep in these losses, he's getting lit up in. Uh, so it's a positive step for Plesak. I you were for this rotation to be like one of the top ten rotations in baseball. You really needed what Plesak showed a year ago to be legit. That he was taking that step forward. He was going to be that number two, kind of in the Carrasco mold of a number two, where he may not be one of the top ten pitchers in baseball, but he's somewhere in the fifteen to thirty range where you're getting a guy who on a lot of teams would be an ace, but for the Indians who already have an established ace or three back in the day, they would have uh these solid waves of arms. And that's what they really need. It, for this rotation we talked about, it's not a sure thing after Bieber and I mean I'll give Savali I feel like it's pretty safe as well. 
but they need Plesak to really step up and be that guy. Brian Shaw, I don't know what is going on with him. If you listened a year ago, and thank you if you've been listening to me that long, you might remember when I did the all-time Indians, and I went through each position, and I talked about like probably 10 players each position to know, and I talked about the relievers are really hard. Because A, they're kind of a modern thing. Really, we haven't had relievers, uh, dedicated relievers since like the 80s. And, you know, it's like outside of looking at saves, sometimes it's harder to get like reliably good data. But I made a case that Brian Shaw was at least in consideration to be one of the relievers on the Indians all-time team. I bring this up to say, I don't, you know, my joke on the lockdown now was he hasn't found the fountain of youth. He's found something better. Like he's not, this isn't Brian Shaw pitching like young Brian Shaw. This is... Brian Shaw pitching like he's never pitched before. Uh, there's a great stat in the, you know, I'm uh, media, so I get the media blast. Uh, we haven't even gotten a chance to talk about the tra- uh, roster move they made today yet, but uh, we'll talk about that, I guess, third segment. Uh, but they talked about that he has yet, Brian Shaw has yet to give up a hit to a left-hander. They're 0 for whatever against him. He has come in, and it's been, like I say, it's unreal. And I do really appreciate uh brian shaw and i still have no idea how he's doing what he's doing he's gonna regress to a mean the question is how much regression uh is he going to be closer to what he was when he was in cleveland before is he going to be closer to what got him cut by the rockies i don't know uh speaking of the rockies how about the stepping down of their gm i mean it was a pretty bad record of everything there but to get like a month in and to step down, I mean, that is, that's got to be the classic, you can step down or we'll fire you situation. I know they're last in baseball, but they should be last in baseball. It's a little side note, but woo, I mean, that team, that's a team the Indians should be looking to. Uh, you know, we'll talk about them soon, but whoever's stepping in has got to be looking at a teardown of epic proportions. I, It's going to be a bloodbath very soon in Colorado. But Shaw, one and two-thirds innings, two strikeouts. I mean, do it's like at every time I want to almost do like a chef's kiss deal with him. He's just been so good. Class A, still no earned runs. Uh, while he has picked up a loss, uh, those were in like extras when the runner at second scored, and those don't count uh, towards his ERA. So he comes in, pitches one inning, gets one strikeout, picks up the win. Spectacular. I had three innings, three runs over 10 innings. It's a great job by this Indians pitching staff uh, across the board there. You have to be very happy. The bullpen, Class A's looked very good. Karen Chalks looked very good. Nick Whitegrin has had his struggles. We'll talk about him a bit more in the third segment. Maiton hasn't had those opportunities. Sandy Almar leaned on Maiton so much, and then uh, Terry is not using him hardly at all. Quantrella is getting those opportunities to prove himself, and the last few have been very strong. And they've just got those arms down there in the minors. At some point, they're going to want to see what they can do. But it's nice to have options. You know, you look at the Twins and giving up this game and their big free agent addition, that bullpen. I mean, the Twins have been fighting with that bullpen for years. You think about trading for guys like Romo and uh, other guys like that, that they've been trying to kind of slap it together with secondary or cheaper pieces. And it's not been as effective and Colome was supposed to be kind of the opposite of that he was a guy who'd been the closer for uh their division rival and it just hasn't worked out so far with him we'll see how that goes speaking of the twins I don't understand some of the choices in this one for them Alex Kirilov who has been up and down this year because of struggles we complain about guys on the Indians there is nobody hitting as weakly as Alex Kirilov is 
uh, on the Indians, an 056 average, a 167 OPS. That's with him going one for four today. Like he had a massive jump with that. And they had him hitting cleanup. I mean, he's a young kid. I think he's going to come around. I think he'll be at least a league average outfielder. But you're putting him clean up. I understand that, you know, you got Rooker in there who did have the home run, but he is struggling. Cave is struggling. Uh, Andrelton Simmons had his big return from the COVID list, and he struggled out of the gate. I know they don't have a ton of choices, but what Kirilov has done right now has been brutal. Like, to put him then in that spot, uh, less than ideal. And if you watch the game, I mean, the five hits and one walk, that the Indians gave up. It just, their offense looked every bit as futile as the Indians offense. And it's as long as you can avoid Donaldson and Cruz, you don't have to worry about anyone else. Really. Uh, Luis Arez who played left field, but is also, you know, you're supposed to be their uh, second baseman or no, I'm sorry. He was going to move to that like super utility role. And then Polanco was moving to second. Do I have that right? Right. Cause then they signed Simmons to play shortstop. Uh, you know, he's, been at least league average but after uh Arez, donaldson and cruz it's been they're, they're having the same issues the indians have had where the indians have luplo franmil and jose uh, and they would kill for eddie rosario's production right now if we're being honest the twins are in a spot as bad as cleveland uh, i think it, it, you can't really argue that it's it's been rough if someone out there is a twins fan i'm sure they can attest to that so we're going to take another... Well, before we take that break, let's do the three stars. Luplo. Is, is that even need to be debated? Uh, just such a big performance by him. The question is, do you go Naylor for the three hits, even though like they don't... Even though, like, I'm doing too many likes again. Even though it didn't turn into any runs in any form, or do you go up and look at you know someone like Eddie Rosario? I think I'm going to lean to Rosario, because he had... A double just like Naylor in the single but uh being in the four spot and the production there I think I'll just go with those two and then I'll go with Plesak for going nearly eight innings with three runs I think that is a solid performance that you'll take every day from a starter I know it feels like of late the Indian starters or the Indians offense you don't think that three runs the team can score four to win but I'm always going to be uh, excited to, when a pitcher goes eight innings, I think, and then gives up just three runs. I think we can all agree that should be a good thing, even if the offense so far is making it not necessarily the case. So on my little app, it said the Indians covered, and I said I was very tempted to bet the over in this one. Now, I don't know how that works with extras, but uh, remember, today's game, it was seven runs. The eight runs total would have would have won. I would have been successful this time. But let's go see what the line is for tomorrow's game over at betonline.ag. And remember that when you go to betonline.ag, use that promo code locked on to get a 50 50% bonus. Uh, they're not giving anyone any runs in this one. Uh, I guess they, the Indians are plus 100. The Twins are negative 110. So from what I understand and the way I take this, you know, I'm, I, I'm not familiar with money lines. I'll be honest. I'm not going to give you information I don't know. But the over-under is eight runs after the seven a day ago. And seven, as I talked about yesterday, was low compared. Seven and a half is typically as low as we've seen them get. So yesterday was that kind of opportunity with as much as the Indians have struggled. No no run line, though. They're not shading one team over the other. 
that is an interesting one to consider with the Indians in their 6-10 game tomorrow being the earliest game on the docket. So go check that out over at betonline.ag. Remember, the promo code is locked on to get a 5-0-50% bonus on your first deposit. Not going to get a higher percentage on anything we talk about on this site. That's pretty much a guarantee. Go check it out for yourself, betonline.ag. So we talked about there was a minor roster move. The Indians moved Nick Whitgren to the paternity list and called up Kyle Nelson. This is interesting for a few reasons. One, we know Whitgren has had some struggles never know what's going on in someone's personal life that could affect them uh hopefully everything sound you know there was no other information at least that i got that other than he was put on there for the birth of a second child i wish him and his family well and i hope that uh you know when he comes back we see more of the guy we saw the past few years now again that's always with that caveat that his projection based numbers were never as strong as his actual performance. There's been this whole like waiting for him to crater. Some guys, that's just always the case though. And so far that seemed to be the case with uh, Whitgren. We'll see what happens when he comes back. Now, why this was totally interesting though, is there was this view that like Sam Henches, who pitched on Sunday's game, picking up what his first win, correct? If I'm going back and thinking correctly, that, you know, he would get sent down because they're going to need another uh, bat that you know after sending down gamble and calling him up at some point they were going to need another hitter and here was an opportunity where well we can keep henches up and go get another uh bat instead they call up kyle nelson so why kyle nelson i think one of the easiest parts with nelson is he's already on the 40 man if you're talking about someone like nick sandlin Robert Broom, some of those other choices they could have in the pen. Those guys are currently not on the 40-man roster, so then you have to juggle. You're going to lose someone. Who else could they have considered? Juan Carlos Mejia, Eli Morgan, and Scott Moss, but those are all starters. I don't know how much that affects, because at the same time, I mean, Henches is a starter who they called up and brought in the pen. Here are the relievers that they have that are currently on the 40-man. The pause was to show there's none. So that's why... They went with uh, Nelson. He's the only reliever they had, pure reliever, who's uh, on the 40-man. I, I, when I was mentioning starters, I left off Carlos Vargas. I'm sure someone out there was shouting that. But they have five guys on the 40-man who are not on the roster as pitching, as pitching, as pitchers. And they decided to go with Nelson. Now, he is the not the only lefty but because uh, there's Moss. But why would they go with the left-hander? Minnesota isn't necessarily a deep lefty team. Uh, Luis Arez, Arez, Kirilov, and Jake Cave are their lefties, and Polanco is a switch. Everyone else is a right-hander. It's, you know, the whole central is not very left-handed. Like, that was when we talked with Nash from Locked on Twins. Like, that was the internal knock uh, on the Twins adding Hap of all the pitchers to add because... There aren't a lot of lefties in the American League Central to begin with. You're not going to get a huge benefit from a a lefty whose stuff is, uh, you know, declining. Now, going into my athletic past, uh, I was a fencer for a few years there. And the thing we always said in fencing is it doesn't matter if you're a righty or a lefty. Facing a lefty is more difficult because you see them less often. Uh, I know this is the big leagues. And these guys have been through and seen lefties throughout. But I think there is still a degree of that. I think there is still a degree of 
you mostly face right-handed pitchers. So lefties are always a little bit trickier for everyone, uh, especially left-handed hitters. But even for right-handed hitters, uh, there can be, you just don't get as many reps. You don't get as many in-game reps. And sometimes there's value in that with a left-handed pitcher. Not always the case as, you know, that's why there's also just used to be loogies because there are guys who could only get out lefties and you never wanted them in there against right-handed hitters. So it's not a, a foolproof uh, fencing to baseball analogy, but I think there is a degree of that. I think there is a degree of, and with Nelson, he's a guy that teams don't have, they have the minor league tape on, which is fine. Uh, you're not getting as good of information off of that. Uh, he's not had a ton of reps in the big leagues, and you know it gives him another unknown quality. More than anything else, he's a reliever, and he's a guy that could call up uh, they've already called up one starter from down there, and if you call up another starter, it's going to make it a little bit harder on the juggle of your minor league pitching. I feel like a lot of those guys are kind of the same prospect level, honestly, between Morgan, Nelson, Moss. I, you know, A lot of them, to me, are guys who could very easily end up relievers anyways. But when you're looking at calling up an arm and not disrupting things too much with that team, if all things are even, then that idea of it's easier to call up Nelson rather than take away another starter from a rotation that's already in a weird spot because of how everything's set up. Yes, they could easily shift guys around. It's not a huge deal, but they get a guy who has pitched in the majors, who has experience pitching uh, in the majors, not a ton, but has that, is a natural reliever who can just shift into that role. We don't know when Wickren's going to be back. We don't know what they're going to do with Henches. We don't know, are they going to keep running with like nine uh, pitchers? I don't know. I I think most of us thought by now they would have uh, sent someone down and called up another bat. That hasn't been the case. We'll see what the next move is. Looking forward in this series, the next game matchup, as we talked about, is Maeda versus Savali, then Hap versus Logan Allen. And I really hope Logan Allen can pitch deeply uh, into his game. He's I was a big believer in his, and part of the reason I really liked that trade for the Indians was the addition of Logan Allen, because was it the slider or the change, I'm trying to remember top of my head, was a really strong pitch, and he was a back-end top 100 guy viewed as this very safe back-end starter, and at the end of the day, you know, they traded uh, Taylor Trammell, essentially, for Victor Nova, Franmil Reyes, and Logan Allen. That's a, that's a pretty good deal, because especially because Taylor Trammell then got flipped last year and every single year the the stock is getting a little bit lower on him you can do your own digging i'm not gonna uh kick a guy when he's already down for no other reason than he's got some uh some pitch recognition issues but allen was a big part of that return puig we all knew was going to be a rental he's got his own set of issues there's reasons why no one is bothering to sign him uh, Fran Mill was, of course, the centerpiece, but Logan Allen was a consensus entering that season, top 100 prospect, back-end starter, killer changeup, could work out of the pen, and it does make me kind of wonder about those changeup artists. Like, how many players out there, and it, this could be the knock on Eli Morgan, honestly. It's like, because Eli Morgan might have the best changeup in all of minor league baseball, but it's still like, can you get by with a mediocre fastball and a really good change? And it feels like... You, I can't think of a lot of guys where I'm like, yeah, he's got the killer changeup. Like that doesn't seem to be the pitch that uh, is the mow him down type or the one that sets players up to be successful. So 
you know, that that could be the knock there. He's essentially kind of a, a one-pitch guy. Everything else is average or below. I believe he's got, what, fastball, slider, curve, and none of those other ones are, I mean, if they're not average, they're right about average. And he was one of those spring training stories, you know, best shape of his life, redone mechanics. Now it's up to him to hold on to this spot. He's only going to get so many opportunities uh, again, because I've talked about it in so many places that rule five crunch is for real. Not to say that they've necessarily let him go, but he's going to get his chances to start this year. If that doesn't work out, he'll get shifted to the pen. If that doesn't work out, I don't know. Is he potentially trade fodder? I, I don't know what his valuation is at. Honestly, that makes it hard to guess. And in the so it's it's an important start for him. I mean, there's just no other way around it. He's not going to keep getting starts if he doesn't perform. He's not one of those guys. You know, if Sack Plesac has struggles, they've seen the high end. They'll write it out with him until he can write it. Logan Allen doesn't have that runway. He doesn't have that type of. Uh, they're not going to let him work his way through it as much as they might uh, some of the other pitchers on the staff. In terms of the other matchup, Savali. I still, I know there's no line on it, and that's partially because Kenta Maeda was so good a year ago, and he has been so not good this year. And we talked about last year was definitely, you don't count on a guy having a year like that in their early 30s, that they have their breakout year. You know, a 2.3 war, I'm sorry, that's not true. Last year was a 2.1 war in 11 starts. The previous two years... In 26 and 20 starts, he was at 2.5. So 0.4 more in, and then, I mean, just pure innings was almost three times, two and a half times as much. It was an odd year. And his, you know, his FIP was great. His XFIP was fantastic. A lot of, and especially when you think about a guy going from the National League to the American League. But then you also think about the, what we talked about, that it was a, easier road for a lot and especially if you're a twins pitcher because then you weren't facing the twins lineup and you go through it's like he had to face the white Sox, who was a a a very good lineup and then do you count the cubs a very good lineup i don't know like above average uh it just felt like a lot of guys didn't perform or specifically towards the end of the year that whole team was not playing well and then who else was the good lineup the cardinals he got to pitch I mean, the rest of that division, most of the games are against the American League Central. The Indians, we ta- we know they were awful. Like, yes, they had some guys who had good years, and they made the playoffs, but that lineup was awful. And then you got the Twins, the Tigers. You know, it, it was a very easy grouping uh, for him all last year. Why does he get to have a career year? Because most of his games came against an Indians team that was atrocious or Royals and a Tigers team that were awful. And yeah, the White Sox are tough. He had one tough opponent and I would have to sit down and look at a game log to see how many of those times he actually faced against the White Sox. And there's an outside chance he never had to pitch against them. Unlikely, but it could have happened. It's only 11 starts. So Maeda has come back to earth and it's been rough and his FIP is well over five and his war through four starts is zero. I think the Indians should be the favorites tomorrow. I, that is my view. I know it's not going to be because of what we saw last year in terms of Maeda himself. Just very quickly, as we're running a little low on uh, time available, he strikes out righties throughout his career almost, not almost, over three three more per nine. 
he walks lefties at 1.6 more per nine. That's a pronounced, his K to walk ratio, 2.36 versus lefties, 6.28 versus right-handers. Tomorrow you want to, we talked about some players and their splits. His is pronounced. His is one of the most pronounced of any player we've talked about. It To me, it is, off the top of my head, the most. FIP, 4.59 to a 2.87 versus righties. XFIP, 4.46 to a 2.96. Uh, home run rate, it's 1.36 versus 1.06. Overall, I mean, they should load up. If you, you obviously aren't going to take out uh, loop low right now, but if you were going to, say, play some of those left-handers on your bench that the Indians have, like tomorrow's the day where you should sit there and Bauer should play. I know he's been awful, but he should be in there in some form. Uh, if Naylor takes a... Well, Naylor's also a lefty, so what am I saying? No, you want Naylor in there. I don't know. It, do you put Naylor back in the outfield and you put Luplo in center field tomorrow? I, I'd be tempted to do that and put Bowers at first because of just how big a difference this is. This is the guy where the split is significant enough. I'm going to alter the lineup and give someone who is really scuffling a chance because the, like I said, the split is that big. It is that real. That is something that teams should look at and take advantage of. I've been Jeff Ellis. This has been the Lockdown and Needs podcast. Remember to rate and review, download daily, and for the next year, at least, go Tribe.